Welcome to the Napkin Podcast. This is part one of a four-part series with Cabrina Bass and D.G. Mon, covering the history of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, why it was needed, and why it was created. Enjoy. I do want to recognize and thank the Trust Network for giving us this opportunity to have this platform, in particular the leaders, both Prabha and Joe, who are with us here today, that have helped pull this together, and Sunita, who made sure I knew know how to work a slideshow. So this is all wonderful and great. And uh, Ben, somewhere in the background. So couldn't do without an amazing, amazing team and the amazing Trust Network. So if you're here and you're not a part of the Trust Network, please consider joining. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing group of people who are really coming together, not only focused on early warning and early response, but also focused on community and social cohesion and structure, uh, infrastructure security. So please think about joining the Trust Network. And with that, uh, I have with me Cabrina Bass. Cabrina Bass is the Executive Director of Midlands Mediation Center in Columbia, South Carolina. She uh, is part of the NAFCOM family, both through her membership as a center, as well as serves with us on the NAFCOM Board of Directors. And I am DG Mon, the president of the National Association for Mediation. And we're going to try to, we invite you to hear the words today from a place of connecting needs, from a place of listening for impact, from a place of sharing the words today to empower each of us, and from a place of focusing on the abundance that we have within and outside of us. And when we do that, we ask ourselves where can we find light in this never-ending shade the loss we carry i see we must wait we brave the belly of the beast we learn that quiet isn't always peace and norms and notions of what just is isn't always justice amanda gorman 2021 so we want to start first with what was going on a decade before the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was enacted and what's been going on a decade before this moment we share today. And you'll see in that list that poverty was a significant issue then and is a significant issue today. That people then certainly witnessed and talked about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer, which is a similar conversation that we have today. There was a big fear of big government and communism. And today, what drives many people is a fear of big government and socialism. Back in 1954 to 64, there was a questioning of wealth distribution and foreign aid. And today, in the decade before today, we said the question of wealth distribution, but instead of aid to foreigners, it was foreigners in our country. When we look at the other dynamics going on when it comes to communication, 
We see that between 1954 and 1964, there was the building of the US interstate system, which connected people for the first time easily across the country and coast to coast. Air transportation became much more common than it was previously, and people began flying. Televisions were entering into every home and sometimes two televisions in a home. And the telephone access was no longer the party line, but was actually a personal phone system without an operator asking who would you like to talk with. There was also the first Roman Catholic president, which was a significant occurrence in 1960 with many people in the United States fearful that that meant the papacy was gonna start controlling this country. And the federal and the court system really moved for integration of schools and the military. And we look at the decade before today, when we look at connecting, we have the internet that is in everyone's home and on everyone's phone. We have video communication as we're doing now. And we have social media, which, which broadened the many platforms in which information, false and true, are able to be communicated. So similar to what preceded 1964 and that massive change of connecting and communication, we've had the same thing happen in the 10 years before today. We had the first African-American elected president and there were many Americans fearful of what that meant for them and their place in this country. And we had federal courts, federal and courts really expanding LGBTQ rights. I pose this and, and want everyone, invite everyone to think about this, that when we say things are so different now than then, they really aren't. When we say, wow, it's never been this way before, that's not true. And the 1964 Act, Section 10, which created what we're gonna talk about is needed even more today than then when you look at how similar so many of these things are. Also, uh, being, being an attorney, I have to cite some amount of cases, and this is not that people debate which cases I should have cited and which cases I didn't. It is for all of us to realize what the courts were doing at the time. And in 1954 to 64, the courts really moved with separate but equal is not equal that there, there's a freedom from warrantless searches and seizures. You just can't arrest someone or look in their car or their home simply because you're the state and want to. There was a, an expansion of what was meant by faith and therefore restricting school prayer from being one type of religion, one type of faith. There was of course the movement of legal aid and the public defender. So if you are arrested and can't afford an attorney, this is when it began. And also surprisingly, from the moment this legislation was passed in 1964, they did an expedited case to the Supreme Court to see whether or not any of this could apply to the states. And the Supreme Court said that it could. That was surprising to me when I did that research that the opposition was so strong to the passage of this act that there was that expedited case to the court system, checking to see whether or not that just meant it impacted federal employees and federal buildings, or did it impact all the states? And of course the Supreme Court ruled that it impacted all the states. What's led before our 10 years of today, we have of course the 2010 decision Citizens United, which 
is put out there as expanding free political speech or that dollars are speech. Also in 2012, the court did affirm affirmative action as appropriate in education, keeping that in place, although limited. In 2013 and 2015, the courts expanded same-sex rights and to benefits for those rights. And of course, in 2013, the federal courts ruled that there was no need for oversight anymore, that racism was no longer existing in our country. Uh, I'll leave you all to decide which of those decisions were correct or not correct. The point of these decisions is to see just how much the courts themselves were involved with how we're communicating with each other, how power is shared, how status is shared, how rights are protected or not protected. So all of that was bubbling up before we had the movement and the creation of this 1964 Civil Rights Act. So to review as a foundation for our conversation this afternoon, information flow dramatically changed in the 10 years before 1964 and information flow dramatically changed before the events of this year have occurred for better or worse. Tension between individualism and collectivism existed strongly then and strongly now. When individuals say we've never been so polarized, I simply believe they've not lived where I've lived here in the middle of the country. The tension between individuals and collectivism, the tension between common good and sharing for common good, and the tension between my way is the correct way has always been existing out here between the mountains. So I share that with all the rest of you who live out here between the mountains. Distribution of power has always been an issue. It was an issue then. It wasn't just the fear that the papacy would somehow control the country. It was the fear that a religion that this country was founded on to segregate and discriminate against Roman Catholicism would all of a sudden be in charge. Distribution of power occurred with the election of President Obama because this country, which was founded on and grew on the, the discrimination, the enslavement of African-Americans now had a leader who was, and what would that mean for the other parts of the country? And I stress that because the election of President Biden being Catholic went without a belief that he was Roman Catholic. But when you look at the history and the papers and the recording of 1960, the angst was just as strong as when in 2008 when President Obama was running for president. There are and have always been evolving definitions of roles and responsibilities. Remember in the 50s, women started going to work expanding that to the 60s and 70s, huge changes of roles of women and their responsibilities in family and in the social network. Rewards and results changed. What would be considered a reward or not a result? What one respected and recognized as valuable changed both leading up to 1964 and today. And of course, the ability to act from and be hopeful. President Kennedy led with a message of hope and President Biden has led a message of hope. Both presidents have ended that 10-year period that the Americans have elected based on a message of hope. 
So we're in a very similar place as we were in 1964. So let's, let's move on to talking a bit about that. It just shows how people were responding at both times. There was the top-down federal action through the National Guard, courts, and Congress, and of course, the bottom-up joining locally-led movements by those most impacted by the violence, both then and now. So let's take a look at the act itself. Uh, the Community Relations Services was established in 1964 as civil rights protesters across the South came under attack, looking at uh, and Highline Bridges point that white supremacy uh, is clearly an issue then and is clearly an issue now. It was designed to be a small federal center that would work with local structures to confront entrenched and complex problems. So it was never designed to be as other national labor boards and other things that this is where you come to and we're out there and we, we design from the top on what to happen. It was always designed to work with those local structures. The service shall, this is their language, whenever possible performing its functions, seek and utilize the cooperation of appropriate state, local, public, or private agencies. And mediation in the notes was viewed as an empowerment tool. It wasn't written as we may think of mediation today. It was from to mediate, it was an empowerment tool for individuals uh, to use and to be able to resolve their, their issues and their problems. And then President Johnson's on record of saying that anything can be negotiated, that most conflict can be negotiated, and that this was created to give the opportunity for people to be able to find a way, systems to be able to find a way to negotiate through their differences. President Johnson also referred to this part of the act as establishing America's peacemakers. So that is, in fact, the starting place for what we now call commission centers, is that this is what he referred to as America's peacemakers. And part of the section says that the work is to aid communities and individuals in resolving disputes, disagreements, or difficulties relating to practices that impair the rights of persons in their communities and thereby threatening peaceful relations among them. So it wasn't only two individuals having a dispute. It was also about communities in dispute and discriminant difficulties. And it wasn't just about communities as people in the communities. It was about the institutions themselves that impair the rights of persons in those communities. So when we look at our institutions, public or private, that are acting in a way that impairs the civil rights, the human rights of the people in their communities, they are a subject to the work that we're about. And so it had a very broad expanse to what was supposed to happen. And the focus was whenever it was threatening peaceful relations among them. So looking at our work as reducing violence, increasing fairness, creating space for peace is in fact, coming from the act itself. So the role and responsibility for CRS itself for the federal branch was to provide assistance to communities and persons, not just agencies, communities and persons therein in resolving their disputes, difficulties, disagreements relating to discrimination and other rights as we just read. 
it, the bottom up is the service may offer its services whenever in its judgment or upon request of a state, local official, or other interested person. So any of you can tap into what CRS was supposed to provide as long as you're viewed as an interested person. Well, an interested person should absolutely be a person who's being impacted by the discrimination, a person who is suffering because the organization is not following basic civil or human rights. In that process came community mediation. That concludes part one of this NAFCAM podcast series. We hope you'll join us for part two of the series, which covers community mediation and its impact within the judicial system. Thank you for listening. Full of the hope that the present has brought.